Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Pastor of New Wine Ministries. God bless you and welcome to this Tuesday morning live podcast here on The Watchman. You're listening live on Omega Radio or on Facebook or YouTube or RevMedia.com. Okay, so uh, it's a great Tuesday morning. <clears throat> We're going to start today's broadcast and hopefully you're hungry for a little Bible study, perhaps a little refresher course. Um, in your heart today so we could break bread together and just praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. What an incredible week it's been. It has really been an incredible week. And that image behind me right now is kind of the talk of the town. And uh, every day we're hearing about this possibility of nuclear war in the world today. And I am sure that there are some people that will use that as a propaganda tool. I'm sure that some people use that as a tactic of fear. I'm sure that some people liked it because of drama and, you know, kind of intensify the atmosphere. But I think there's also a real possibility that these uh, nuclear weapons that are existing in our world today are going to be detonated. And I do believe that the Word of God actually talks about it. So we're going to get into that a little bit. But uh, I want to go into a time of discovery on a couple of the beast kingdoms that exist in the world today that may have uh, changed in their identity, but nonetheless, they are who they are. And I want to get into that today. So, however, I love to begin in the book of Corinthians. So I'm going to start today's week off with 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
<clears throat> verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. The Apostle Paul, speaking to the church at Corinth and to all of us who believe today, said, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? <clears throat> Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God <clears throat> lets us know, and it's, it's always wonderful to go back over these things, and maybe not as often as we need it, but every once in a while, we come back to a, a, a glaring reality about our Christian faith and about our walk with God and about our calling upon this earth. And he gets into the calling here in just a minute. And we realize again that the center of our existence, the middle part of everything we are, what we have become, what God has done in our lives, what he brought us through, the power of God goes back to verse 18 again, the power in our lives, where he said, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, foolishness, but unto us which are saved. It is the power of God. What is the power of God? The preaching of the cross. Why is the cross the power of God? Why is the cross spoken of by the Apostle Paul as the very center of God's power? And that the preaching of the cross somehow is the power of God. Well, what does that mean to you and I today? How is the cross powerful in your life? Well, you know, if we started there and we asked that question, well, how is the preaching of the cross powerful? Number one, it's the nullification of all guilt, shame, and condemnation against the life of a believer. The cross is the nullification point. It is the point of origin from whence we commence our walk in following God, in following Jesus. For anybody that would attempt to come to him in any other way through neglect of the cross or the neglect of hearing the preaching of the cross would somehow venture into this journey thinking that their own self-sufficiency is enough to carry them through. But that is not true. None of us, not a human being on this earth, regardless of where you've been educated, even in the halls of Harvard, Harvard or wherever, cause us to be sufficient when it comes to our walk with God. The only sufficiency that any human being 
will ever possess is the sufficiency of what Christ has done for us. When we believe the preaching of the cross and we receive the meaning of the cross, that becomes our strength. That becomes our power because initially we are now able to stand before a holy God without guilt, shame, or condemnation, wherein all reproach has been rolled away. So because of what Christ has done for you and I, we can come boldly before the throne of grace in the time of need, and we can receive from the Father whatever request we would make. But it all begins at the point of origin, the point of the cross, the nullification of sin, the nullification of condemnation, the nullification of judgment that was on our lives. For every human being that has ever entered into this world through the womb of a woman has already had the condemnation written upon their soul. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is true. I know this is elementary. I know this is simple. Wait a second. We got all these things going on. We're going to get to it. But without going back to these origins or these beginnings of our journey, we could somehow get lost in translation, if you will. So I love to go back to the cross. I love to go back to a place where God can once again reveal himself to me and to remind me that without the cross, there's nothing. It doesn't matter. Russia doesn't matter. The Ukraine doesn't matter. The whole world, none of it matters without a proper apprehension and understanding of what the cross has meant for my life. Because whatever's going on in Russia, in China, in America, in Islam, around the world, Israel, without the cross, it's, it's just sitting down observing world events. But it really has nothing to do with me personally. I am simply observing Bible prophecy unfold. But what does have personal meaning to me in my life, the way that I get to live the, the, the commencement of my journey and my adventure into eternity begins at the cross. And it is throughout our lives that the cross continues to release its power every day. But we don't think about the cross every day. And so every once in a while, atmospheres are created, environments come and go, but there are moments where we're almost as though God is nudging us. Go back to the cross. Go back to your beginning. Remember the former days. Return to your first love. Remember it was God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and that he revealed himself to you. That God called you. That God chose you. You did not choose God. You did not call God into your life. God wooed you and me. So when I go back to the cross and I read the words of the Apostle Paul and I hear him say, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. All this stuff going on in the world, to them the cross is foolishness, but it's because they're perishing. They will perish without the power of the cross. You and I, which are saved, we look at the cross and it's our power. It's our strength because we can go out and feed a hungry person in the name of Jesus because the cross has enabled us to do it. And we have more power with God than the global world rulers anywhere. 
everyone and anyone who has rejected the power of the cross, and again, this isn't just a mental ascent or a verbal communication. It's something where the cross has impacted our lives. The cross impacts our lives. I love to go back to the cross. I love to remain near to the cross. I love the cross because the cross is a continuum of nullification to my human nature, to my flesh. It is a thing that keeps me out of the way of the purposes of God. It is the cross that works in my life to give power to the born-again nature, to give power to my born-again spirit and my awareness of God and my awakening to God. It is through the cross, by the cross, with the cross, in the cross, that I remember. Without Christ, I am nothing. If Christ did not die and was not crucified upon a cross, my sins still remain. Without the cross, I can be buried in shame, guilt, and condemnation and reproach. Whether I tried to fight it off with a fig leaf or some other way. But I love the cross. And today, as we explore and get into Bible study, I just felt it was important for you and I to remember the cross. The cross of Christ. The cross that he bore for you and I. The cross that nullified the judgment against our lives. The cross that not only has forgiven us, the blood that was shed on that cross out of the body of the man who was crucified on the cross, God's son, has given us hope. It justified us. I love the way it speaks in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5 concerning the cross. I'm going to pick it up in Romans chapter 4, verse 23, 423. It says, now it was not written for his sake alone, but it was imputed to him, speaking of Abraham. And then in Romans 424, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, speaking of righteousness, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses, for our offenses. Jesus, excuse me, was delivered to the cross for our offenses and was raised again on the third day for our justification. So he died for our sins. And verse chapter uh, five of Romans, verse one, continues the theme and says, therefore, because Jesus Christ was delivered to the cross for our sins. He who was perfect and knew no sin took our sin, became sin. He was delivered to the crucifixion, to all that it was and all that it represents and did for our sins, our offenses. And because of that, he said, therefore, being justified by faith. You and I stand because when he rose from the dead on the third day, he took our sin and deposited it into hell itself, 
I mean, he paid the price. He took the keys of hell and death, and he rose, and his, through his resurrection, you and I are justified just as though we have never sinned. Now, I, I know there's a lot going on in the world, but I can't think of any better news than you and I waking up this morning realizing because of what Christ did, because he died 2,000 years ago. He's never going to die again. It's only when our faith catches up with what, what already happened that it'll ever become an experiential reality in our lives. Nonetheless, we believe and have faith that he died for us. Therefore, we are now justified. And it says, therefore, being justified, he died, he was raised again. Being justified, being, being, remaining, walking in, justification. We have peace with God. We have peace with God. How are you justified today? How am I justified today? How are we treated by God just as though we've never sinned? Not as though God is keeping a record of our past sins. That's why we shouldn't remember our past sins. We should be very careful about thinking or dwelling on the past. In fact, we should lose sight of it and become so immersed in the newness of our reality, the newness of our life, the newness of our experience, what is before us, not what is behind us. Why? And again, being justified by faith. This all is by faith. By faith, we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. By faith, we believe that he was buried in the earth. By faith, we believe on the third day, he rose from death. By faith, we believe 40 days later, he ascended to the right hand of God in heaven, having received the kingdom. By faith, we believe all these things. We believe he's coming again by faith. So because of what he did in being delivered to the cross, because of the resurrection, you and I, now, by faith, have peace with God. That's powerful. Because any human being on this earth that has genuine peace with God, that means the guilt, the shame, the condemnation, the reproach, that angst, that inner turmoil, that inner something is eradicated. And it's only the cross can eradicate it. Only the power of the cross can eradicate that sense of unworthiness, that sense of I don't belong, that sense of I'm still guilty, that sense of I'm kind of afraid, that sense of, well, I'll be, I'll be over here, just give me a cabin in heaven one day, and, you know, because I don't think God wants to see me. All of that false sense, all of that accusation, all of that pointed finger, all of that criticism, all of that demonic breath, against our soul is nullified because of what Christ did on the cross. You are fully accepted. We are fully accepted by God because we believe, and I believe the only reason why we believe is because God's given to every man a measure of faith. And somehow, in the foreknowledge of God, we were chosen by God to believe. And we didn't have to go to schools of, uh, of thought or university or college to come up with a faith, we had it. It was in us as little children. And somewhere along the line, when the gospel was preached to us, we just accepted it like, yeah, absolutely. Of course he was born of a virgin. Of course he grew up, and of course he, he's Jesus, the king of the universe, and the son of God. And why do we believe that so easily? 
We believe it because we have faith and we know the truth. We put our faith in this reality. And to us, we don't question, well, how could somebody be born of a virgin? We don't do that. Now, the devil comes maybe at times to put questions in us, but we look at that and go, that's stupid, man. I have a history with God. I have a history with Jesus. I have a history with the power of God. And so we get ourselves here, and we have peace with God, fully accepted. The atonement has been made. You know what the atonement was, the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement? Well, that atonement was paid in full 2,000 years ago when Christ carried his blood, not unto the mercy seat on earth in an earthly tabernacle, but when Christ went into heaven, he took his blood and put it on the mercy seat in heaven. And on the mercy seat, the blood speaks. And what is it speaking to? It's speaking to every individual whose faith has allowed them to believe and enter in to this covenant. And what does that blood say? Not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. The blood is speaking on behalf of you and I as we come before God without guilt, shame, or condemnation because the blood is the mercy seat. The atonement, the atonement, if you spell it out, atonement, A-T, at O-N-E, one, M-E-N-T, at one mint. The atonement makes us at one with the Father. So you and I have received an atonement. The whole world has access to the atonement, but they reject it. They don't believe it. They're warring against it. So they, don't, they won't have it. But for those of us who have believed, it is a gift. It is a grace. It is a calling. It is a choosing, not of our own. It truly is something from God. And we accepted the call. We received it. We believe it. Therefore, you and I, who have peace with God, look what it says next. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, because of what he did on the cross, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. You and I have been granted access. We've got the card. We just show the tag. We have access in a high security, uh, you know, facility somewhere. The only people that have access into the secrets of the, or, the, or that particular area of the compound, they show their, their card. And you and I are the ones we have access. But it's a spiritual approval. It is a spiritual download. And how, what do we have access into? The grace. You and I have access to the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God. You and I have access to the divine influence upon our hearts that is reflected in our lives. You and I have access wherein we stand in the grace of God, the continual, never-ending, always-flowing favor of God. The favor, the favor, the favor. You and I have favor. This is important because that means you and I could come and go in the presence of God having access. We have access to the throne of God in heaven. And to me, this is amazing. That means I could come boldly before the throne of grace and I could pray in the time of need and I will be heard. My petition, my prayer will be heard when I'm operating in faith. Now, if this is just religious mumbo-jumbo, if this is just religious knowledge, I read the Bible and it says that, and I kind of like what it says, 
but I really don't have faith to activate it because faith causes activation. Faith is a verb. Faith is a release. Faith is open. I'm coming because I have access. And why, if I have access, would I ever stand back and not get the answers that I need for my life? Think about that. I mean, we have access to the mind of God. We have access to the thought of God. We have access to the power of God. We have access to the to everything that God is. We have access to God. And we stand before God, the creator of heaven and earth, the, the, the all creator, the all ruler, the one and only Elohim. I think that's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, quite frankly. I think these three are one. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the Elohim, the plurality of God. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, Elohim. I believe the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. They've always been one. It was out of the bosom of the Father that Christ went forth. When on the first day of creation in Genesis, God said, let there be light. It was not the sun, moon, and stars. That's on the fourth day of creation. Let there be light. Jesus is the light of the world. And out of God, when he spoke, let there be light, out of himself came Christ, illumination. All this is true. And so this is our God. And the spirit of God is God's spirit. So the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Elohim, God, the plurality of God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and we have access to him. And he's actually given to you and I his spirit. God's Holy Spirit lives in us. So we have access to God. The spirit is the connector. It is the channel through which all relationship flows. It is the channel of an act, if you will. So we have been connected to God by the Spirit of God. And so the Spirit of God in God and the Spirit of God in us is a continual flow. It's like Jacob's ladder. We have an ability to go up and down, in and out. We are having access, heaven to earth, earth to heaven. We have access. The devil likes us to get into unbelief or to forget this reality so that we kind of stand outside looking at a turmoilous world and, and not realizing again that that has no power over us. We are kingdom. We are connected. We have power with God. We have access to every weapon we will ever need to overcome any situation we will ever face. We are the children of justification. We are the children of God. We are sealed. We are bought. We are purchased. We are the redeemed of the Lord, you and I. And it's so important in the world in which we live to know these things and to understand that God is not pointing a crooked finger at you. God is not against you. For if God before you, who can be against you? God became your friend. Look at this, how this goes on here. He said, we're standing in the grace of God and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You and I should be rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. The work that he began in you and I, he promised he's going to complete it. God is going to complete the work he began in you. And I know if you've ever been truly born again, when that born again experience happened, your hope levels, they just transcended everything. I mean, you were rejoicing in the freedom, the liberty, the love, the acceptance that God gave to you. So we're rejoicing in hope of the glory of God, the finished work, the glory, Christ in us, the hope of glory, the finished work, the completed work, 
the transformation complete. We being turned from the old nature to the new nature, from the old man to the new man, from darkness to light, from death to life. This is a transformation from the inside out. We are the, uh, what is it, the caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It's a brand new look. It's a brand new nature. One is earthbound, crawling on the earth. The other has wings to fly. We are born again, and we will and continue on in our faith. As we continue on in faith, we will experience the out-resurrection. We will experience the wings to fly away. There's an old song. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. (laughs) All right. Verse 3 of Romans chapter 5. Just a little warm-up for where we're going today. And not only so, Paul writes, not only all this good stuff, but we glory in tribulations also. So whatever tribulations are come upon our lives, and that word always means pressure, anguish, you know, uh, there's some other stuff associated with tribulation. But what does he say we do? When we, here's a great proof that, our, the, that the justification, that our faith, and the grace wherein we stand is real, it's solid. One of the first proofs is that we glory in the tribulation. In other words, what tribulation does to you and I is make us better. What tribulation does to you and I, it may not feel good at, at the present, no, no discipline is, but whatever, what happens, we glory or we grow in glory. We exceed in glory. We become more glorious. So we glory in tribulations. We grow in tribulation. Tribulation is good to a believer, and there's not a believer on the face of the earth that does not have to suffer tribulation. Every single human being on this planet will, but those of us who are in Christ and do, we grow in the glory through tribulation. So maybe you could kind of go back and mark your steps and at a time when you went through a hellacious tribulation. It was hardcore. But when you came through it, you were better. You came through victorious. You came through an overcomer. This is God's word. It also goes on to say that knowing that tribulation works patience. So, the, you know, that's a fruit of the spirit, patience. And so when we go through our tribulation and we are glorying or the glory of God is growing because of it, because we're abiding it, well, it's also working in us patience. And patience is working in us experience, so we have an experience with God. So five years ago, we went through a hellacious trial. Here we are five years later, and we're going through another hellacious trial. But experience shows me this, too, is going to work out for my benefit. I am going to become even better right now. And whatever I failed to respond to properly back then, now I have an opportunity to respond even better this time. But regardless, I'm going to go through, because experience has taught me this, and I'm going to be better at the end of it. So I want to respond well. And what does experience always produce? Hope. It says here, and patience produces experience, and experience hope. And hope makes not ashamed. So you and I today, in light of all the things that are going on in the world, we have hope, which is translated in the Greek, a confident expectation, but it's deeper than that. It is a cheerful, confident expectation. In other words, we are waiting for some things to happen, 
But the way we're waiting when it's true biblical hope is with cheerful confidence. Oh, it's going to happen. And what are we hoping for? Well, he goes on to say here, and hope makes not ashamed. So hope, if, if, in another scripture says, if we hope for what we see, it's not hope at all. So what actually are we hoping for through all this experience? Well, we're hoping for the transformation so that we become like Christ, be conformed into his image, be born again, become that new creation. This has nothing to do with external, temporary, earthly things. This hope is for the change of becoming what we were originally intended to be in the garden. God created us in his image and likeness. So for you and I, our abiding hope, our confident expectation, our confident, cheerful expectation, I expect that through these trials and this patience that I'm learning and this experience that I am going to become. I am going to become the man that God has created in me. You're going to become the woman that God has created you to be. And it's not going to happen by programs. It's not going to happen by all of this. It's going to happen by a life journey with God. And that's the way it works. And so he goes on to say, and hope makes not ashamed, praise God, because why? Why doesn't hope make ashamed? Because the love of God, the love of God is what? Is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So hope makes not ashamed. It doesn't bring embarrassment. Hope is not going to be disappointed. When we maintain a confident, cheerful expectation. Now, you may be waiting for some things to happen in your life. Maybe you're looking for a spouse. Maybe you're looking to sell a house. Maybe you're looking to start a new job. Maybe you're looking for something, and something's gotten inside of you, and you're waiting for it. So wait for it. Put this to practice. Wait for it with cheerful expectation. I know it's going to come. I know God's going to do it. I know that God's going to bring me the perfect seller. I know that God's going to bring me the perfect spouse. I know that God's going to bring me everything because I'm depending on God. I don't want to do it myself. I don't want to go out there and put my hand on it. I don't want to put it into programs and make it, you know, I got to choose this. No, I am trusting that God is going to do it. I am trusting that God is going to do everything I'm hoping for. Now, all that is, is practicing on this earth in the temporary earthly realm. But the greater abiding eternal hope in us is that we would be conformed into the image of the firstborn son, Jesus Christ. That should be our continual abiding down at the center and it all begins where? At the cross. At the cross. You're not going to be in that body you're in right now forever. You're not going to be in this environment forever. You're not going to be in this atmosphere forever. You're not going to be on, on, on this planet forever. You're not going to be in this state forever. You're not going to be. Nothing here is forever. Everything on this earth is temporary. There is no eternity to these things. The only thing eternal for you and I is life with God through Jesus Christ. And man, when we get to that place where our hope has been fulfilled, 
when our hope has been accomplished, when the thing that we've hoped for is now in our hands, that spouse has come, that job has come, that house has come, that whatever has come, that, that you know, one day, you know, I'm not going to be addicted anymore has come, that one day I'm not going to have to suffer over finances anymore, I'm going to have all my needs met according to his riches and glory, that day will come. So it comes, and when it comes, you recognize this has come from God. This came because it all began with the cross that granted me access to the Father, wherein I'm standing in the grace of God. I have access into it, and I have great joy and hope, and this is just the way God does things. Now, I want you to hear this part of the scripture carefully. In verse 6, and what we just read in verse 5 is so paramount to our faith. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Wow. God's love for you and I is in us. And we keep referring to his love. And that love is revealed where? In the cross. There is no greater demonstration of God's love than the cross. The cross is the love of God in action. Somebody could tell you they love you all day long. But if there's no action to that love, no fruit to that love, It's a counterfeit. It's not real. It's a placebo. It's not real. But here, God's love is demonstrated by the cross, by the giving of his son, by the son of God, which is God, allowing himself to die a bloody death in a crucified experience. That's the love of God. So God keeps telling you and I, when we remember the cross, go back to the cross. I love you. I love you. I love you. And when did God die for you and I? Verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, in other words, in the right time, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's everybody. For scarcely, in other words, barely, for a righteous man will one die. I mean, the time may come where there's a, there's a righteous man and you may lay your life down for that. That happens once in a while. Yet peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. Well, he's a good man. I'm going to die for him. But God, watch this. But God commends his love toward us. In that, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, in just a moment, we're going to see that while we were sinners means while we were enemies of God. So here is a demonstration of God's love, God's genuine, agape, unconditional love, that God, for his own reason, Love the world that he gave, his only begotten son. So how did he die? When did he die? When we were without strength. He died for us when we were sinners. We didn't deserve it. In other words, no one could say, God sent his son to rescue me because I was important. No. God sent his son to rescue us because he loved us. Why does he love us? He created us. He loves us because he created us. We are of him. We are his workmanship. And he wants to, because we fell, he wants to reapprehend the creation through Christ. And he wants to put his hands back on us again and recreate what he originally intended to create us in his image and likeness. So this goes on to say in verse 9, watch this. 
much more than, much more than being now justified, which you and I are. So he died for us while we were sinners, died for us when we had no strength. So much more than being now justified by his blood. We're justified by faith in the beginning of this chapter. Now we're justified by his blood. So it's justified by faith in his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. So the wrath of God is no longer on our lives. We no longer will ever have to be concerned about God's wrath on us. Now, man's wrath, the devil's wrath, those are things that are realities. But God's wrath, which is more powerful than anybody's wrath, we will never know it. You and I, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, will never know the wrath of God. Why? Because Christ on the cross was God's wrath, God's full wrath, the penalty that needed to be paid. God extended a burst of wrath. He used the Roman Empire. He used the unbelieving Jews. He used a lot of things. But he released his wrath on his own son so that that wrath has been taken away from you and I. So you and I will never know God's wrath. Think about that. How many people today claim to be Christians but are concerned about God's wrath? Oh, the judgment of God. The, oh, the, the wrath of God. Yikes, I feel it. No, that has been eradicated at the root. That has been eradicated at the core, at the altar, in the heart. There is no wrath of God upon us. Why? Because we're justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, verse 10, when we were enemies, ah, did we even know we were enemies of God when we were sinners? I don't think so. I, I used to think, you know, I got, I'm, I'm covered by the Pope. I'm a Catholic. I'm going to heaven. I'm a good guy. But man, was I an enemy of Christ. I look back now and go, God, was I an enemy of the Lord. So while we were, or verse 10, for if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So here we are, enemies, and God died for us while we were enemies, and through his death and through his blood, I've been reconciled to God. You know, one of the most powerful doctrines I think anybody, you could spend years or eternities, the, the doctrine of reconciliation. Reconciliation is one of the most powerful things, and if the world ever got a hold of it, if Christians ever got a hold of it, so much failure, so much breakdown, so much consternation, so much anguish comes from relationships that are split, that are divided, and it's always in a marriage when there's a divorce, everybody's pointing the finger at somebody, right? It's always somebody else's fault. Well, in the matter of our being reconciled to God, God has no fault. The creation is at fault completely. For everything going on in this world is our fault, Adam's fault, mankind's fault, not the devil's fault, not God's fault. Not Adam's fault, not Eve's fault, as they were pointing at each other. But you notice, even in that first reality between a husband and a wife, 
They're blaming each other. The woman you gave me. Oh, the devil. But the beautiful side of reconciliation, God has no fault. We are guilty. But the doctrine of reconciliation that's being spoken of here, where it says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, reconciliation is taking that which is completely and totally opposed to itself. Absolutely opposed. Mankind in his fallen nature and a holy God. There's a gap there. But what does the cross do? The cross comes and creates a bridge of communication where God has initiated and brought the bridge and has said to creation, come back to me. Come back into relationship. I love you. I'm not sitting in my throne going, huh, huh. Well, if you make it back, no. God gave his son to be the bridge to bring the whole of creation, which are enemies of his because of their fallen human nature, now satanically inspired. God is calling the whole creation back. Reconciliation. A husband and wife, they're at the point of divorce or they've already divorced and they're away. What happens? They come back together. Man, I, we have got two testimonies. I, I remember trying to remember the first one. We just married a couple Sunday, Charles and Jesse. They were married 13 years ago, but they went through hell, and they came back and did a renewal of their vows Sunday, are reconciled. Reconciliation. And you know what's happening through reconciliation? Their boys are going to become more healed. And everything around their sphere of influence is going to begin to prosper. And what the devil meant for harm, God's going to turn for good. And this is what reconciliation does. Division, separation, always produces death. Always produces death. Reconciliation causes life to flow again. How many Christians in the body of Christ need reconciliation among themselves? We all claim to be reconciled to God, right? Oh, I'm reconciled to God. I'm reconciled to God. I'm reconciled to God. But I'm not reconciled to you. That's impossible. The ministry of reconciliation is one of the most powerful, fruitful, beautiful, flower color realities one will ever know. Reconciliation. So, and when does this all happen? We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We're saved by his life. We are saved. We're being saved. We will be saved. There's a place for that. And verse 11 goes on to say, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we joy in God. Let's go back to reconciliation. I, I hear questions, and I hope to hear a lot of questions from you in the chat room about this issue and on the telephone. Uh, how do you reconcile with somebody that doesn't want to be reconciled? You don't. If, there don't if, there's a, if there's a lack of willingness in anything or anyone you're trying to be reconciled with in God, and there is no desire for reconciliation, then you can't. 
Reconciliation takes two people to come together and access relationship. God initiated reconciliation to the enemy creation, the fallen creation. But he was the bigger one, wasn't he? So he comes and says, here's, I'm, I'm making a way. I'm paving a path. I'm creating a bridge to bring all creation back to me. That's my desire. God is saying, my desire is to bring all creatures back to me, all of my creation. The bridge is built. The way is there. But people don't come. They don't want to come. They don't want to be reconciled on God's terms. The only way that they will ever be able to be reconciled to God is to come by way of the cross, the shedding of the blood, the atonement made, the forgiveness granted. And so a lot of people have come to the, to the, to the edge of that bridge and they said, you know what, I don't want to cross over. I can't do it. Or they've actually started in the process and have turned back. You can turn back. You don't have to keep going. You can turn back. And many people have, and I'm sure many are going to. But if there's not a willingness in two parties to be reconciled, then it will fail. It's doomed. So people go on and say, well, I'm going to go on into something else. Well, if you're the one that had the spirit of reconciliation, you're the one that was willing to say to your enemies, who did you wrong? Yet You're the one saying, I'm willing to reconcile. I want this relationship back together. And the other party says, heck no, no way, keeps up with their or whatever. You will move on in life. Most likely, they will move on in death. And the blessing and the prosperity of God upon you for carrying his heart of reconciliation as a believer will be blessed. Paul the Apostle said in the book of Corinthians, we have this ministry of reconciliation. He said that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Imagine that. So this Romans chapter 5 says much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. And the last verse I want to read is verse 11. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement, the Yom Kippur, the sacrifice, the blood on the altar atonement. The blood is speaking on your behalf today, brethren. The blood is speaking on your behalf today because of your faith and what Christ has done for you. You know that communion you take, that, that bread and that wine, when you're identifying with Christ, this is all centered in that. This is the blood of communion. This is the bread of communion. This is the life of Christ poured out on the altar to reconcile you and I to the Father. Wow. Wow. You are free. You are forgiven. And if, you know, the people in your past life do not want to reconcile with you, they do not want to forgive you, that's not on you anymore. If you have gone out of your way, and, have, and desired reconciliation and have offered forgiveness and you've gone through the process, you need to just move on in your life now. You can't keep worrying about people that don't want to go with you. They insist on making you feel like you're the problem. Well, if you were the problem and you went to God about it, then he dealt with that and there's an answer. But they don't want that answer. They want to stay where they are. You let them stay. 
You can't do anything about that. You have to move on. Why is this important today? I always love to look at scripture, all of it, and say, now, why is this important for me today? Because I am, I am fully convinced that as you and I move forward into the time that we are in now, that if we are not fully established in this truth, we will waver, okay? God wants you and I to be unwavering in our faith in these things. Remember, you go back to Romans chapter 4, Abraham did not waver in his faith, and we are the children of Abraham. So true faith doesn't waver, especially on this issue of you being accepted, forgiven. You have life. You're not in a box. You're not stuck in religion. You're, you understand by faith you are delivered. You are healed. You are forgiven. You are free. Now you could go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And it says in verse 26, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Look at us. We're the most foolish things in the world we'll ever know. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. We're, we're the weakest people on the planet. Uh, and I love that we're so weak because his strength is made perfect in our weakness, right? So then he says, he chose in verse 28, base things of the world and things which are despised has God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to nothing things that are. Do you realize this? this is our calling? God didn't select you and I because we were strong and we were valiant and we were educated and we were intelligent and we were full of integrity and wisdom of the world's wiseness. No, God chose you and I because we were everything but that, because God demonstrates his power and glory in vessels that he's apprehended and chosen to do what the wise men of the world can't do. <laughs> so, he does this, why, in verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. There's not a man of flesh. There's not a man of the world. There's not a world ruler. There's not a king, a president, a scholar. There's nothing that will ever glory in the presence of God that has not been affected by the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no glory in any of it. Congressmen, senators. Supreme Court justices, without Jesus Christ and our or your reconciliation to him, you're nothing. Your wisdom is foolishness, which you've proven in the Supreme Court. Your wisdom is stupid. And I mean that. Your wisdom is the foolishness. It's so stupid that you allowed men to marry men and women to marry women and for women to slaughter the innocent blood and the life in her womb. You are proven that you are unintelligent, that your wisdom is so foolish, definitely before God. Wow. And you think you got away with something in your little spark of life, your little essence, your little breath, your little vapor. You're not, you haven't gotten away with anything. you got a lot of blood on your hands. And so does everybody else that thinks they're wise in this world apart from Jesus Christ. you got a lot 
of blood on your hands. So, but of him, verse 30, are you in Christ Jesus. We're of him. Who of God has made unto us, whoo, Jesus has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What has he made? Who is Jesus to you and I? Jesus is my wisdom and yours. Jesus is my righteousness and yours. Jesus is my sanctification and yours. I don't care how loud the devil accuses me or you. We are the righteousness of God. He put his righteousness on us. We are sanctified. The devil may accuse you of all evil, bad things, but you are sanctified. Hallelujah. Can someone praise the Lord? And we are the children of redemption. We are the redeemed of the Lord. He is my redemption. My kin, my, my, they call my kin redeemer. My, come on. We're the redeemed of the Lord, bought with a price, that according as it is written, he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. Oh, we're just glorying in God this morning. Now you're out there today and you're, and you're got life is hitting you. Let this take you. Because if you move to do whatever God tells you to do with this clear conscience, with this justification, with this blood sacrifice, this atonement on your behalf, that you have access to the throne of God and the grace of God, live your life with the power now. Step out and contend with every principality and power. Contend with devils. Contend with the men of this world. Contend, because you're not contending in your own sufficiency. You're not contending in your own belief. You're not contending in anything but the power of God that begins at the cross. You can speak louder than all your adversaries who think they're so great. And you and me, people like us, that God just picked up out of the trash heaps of life and brought us into a condition, we speak with more authority than they will ever speak. They may use the world power in Satan and all the stuff here. They, that's not over us, though. You see, I believe the day is coming. We're going to open our mouth, and this whole system of, of the world is going to collapse. Not because the devil, because we're going to speak it into existence, because we want God's kingdom to come. However, we want to see that cross and that, and that bridge crossed by many more people, right? I mean, we want to see that. So that's where I want to start today. That's where I want to begin this Bible study today and what we're going to talk about. I can't believe we spoke for an hour already. So can someone say praise the Lord? Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the living God. Hallelujah. Praise the living God. So let me say good morning to Terry. Good morning, world of nobody. Terry, I love that, world of nobody, because we are nothing. He's everything. Hallelujah. Pastor Melissa Flesher, good morning, church. Happy Tuesday. Looking forward to being in the word with all of you. Amen. And us with you. Paul Jack, good morning. God bless you, Brother Paul. Cindy Messman is with us today. Great day for Cindy and Mark. Praise the Lord. May favor hit your lives. May favor hit your lives. Praise God. Uh, Joyce Young is with us today. Good morning, Sister Joyce and Brother Ken. God bless you. Sister Miriam Buswell, good morning, Pastor Vincent. Yes, only the cross of Jesus. Amen, sis. You got it. 
uh, Phil and Miriam, we bless you. Melissa, Pastor Melissa, Isaiah 43, forget the former things and look for the new thing the Lord is doing. Amen. That's exactly what has been going on in our lives and needs to continue to go on. Uh, Brother Kevin Hauger, good morning, Pastor Vincent. Good morning, Brother Kevin. Forov Nagio, Vom Ered. I don't know what that means, but praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. All right. Preston Chambers, boom today. Boom today. Okay. Preston Chambers, boom today. Hallelujah. I don't know what that means, but we're going to trust the Lord in that too. Shirley Woolsley. Good morning, Shirley and Mike, all the way from Texas. You're giving a good morning to the church. World of Nobody. Shared a link on Gab, tagged Omega Radio in it, at Kaish. All right. I'll check that out. Uh, Terry says, a word says, shake the very dust from your feet. No place are to force our faith. That's right. That's the Holy Ghost job to convict them. Amen. That is a great, and that's confidence. See, that's authority and that's confidence. Shake the dust. You don't want relationship? Shake the dust. You don't want reconciliation? We shake the dust. We want it because God did it for us. We want it, but you don't want it. We shake the dust, period. And that's right on. And that's strength. And there's humility in that as well. But God wants you to be a little bit bold, thick in the skin. I like it, Terry. All right, world of nobody declaring themselves wise, they became fools. That's true. Pastor Kevin Honeycutt is with us. Praise the Lord, he says. Praise the Lord. Sister Shirley Woolsey, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Janet Ruth Ryder, sweet Jesus. She loves to say that. That's awesome. By the way, good morning, Janet. And Pastor Kevin Honeycutt is we have invited he and his daughter and his family and his church, everybody in Tennessee that wants to come with him and follow that man of God. We're asking him to come and share as one of our guest speakers during the Feast of Passover. Our Passover celebration is going to be from April 14th all the way to April 21st. In between those seven days, we're going to have a Seder meal, and our dear Jewish friend Paul from the Hallelujah Bakery is going to actually conduct the Seder dinner. He doesn't know this yet, but we're going to ask him, and I think he's going to say yes. Praise the Lord. So we're going to have a Seder meal conducted by a Jewish man who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, Yeshua, and then we're going to proceed with the feast, and we're going to have speakers, and we're going to be up on the ark, and we're going to be in the building, and we're going to have a great time celebrating the beginning of a brand new year in the economy of God. The, this is the, the first month of the beginning of a brand new year. It'll be the 15th of uh, that first year, which is where Passover is. April 2nd is the first day of a brand new year, 5782. And we've talked about that as well. So praise the Lord. I got a call coming in, area code 605. Let's take it. Why not? Good morning, area code 605. How are we this morning? Yeah, good. And uh, we have spring here coming in South Dakota. Yeah. But anyway, that was beautiful about the cross today. And uh, we cannot ever... And when we are talking to people that don't know anything about Jesus Christ, if, you know, when you get into some other foreign countries, people have never heard the name. But if you bring up the cross, what Jesus did, it immediately emanates with them, and then they are interested in knowing. And that's why we must never, ever forget what Christ Jesus done for us 
enjoyed the program very much. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I kind of just believe that every once in a while we just take a reality check, Kathy, and and we say, you know what, keep this whole world, take all of it, all of it, every bit of it, but just give me Jesus. And I know that through that cross, you know, the, the bottom line is our reconciliation to the Father. We have begun the journey back to the Father. We are spiritually in him, complete, and yet we're working that through as we go. And it's the best place in the whole wide world to be. I believe it with all my heart. Hallelujah. The cross. Yep. God bless. God bless you, too. Well, there you have it, the cross. It's the cross, the power of the cross. Now, we have to get on. I think we have to get on. We're welcoming your calls coming in today. Uh, By the way, by the way, I've got a couple of things. I always forget to do this, but I can't afford to forget it anymore. Um, What we're going to do is if you are struggling in any area of your life, I mean, seriously, you want to reconcile, but you can't. Call this number on the screen, 479-233-3774. I want to forgive, but I can't call that number. I, I, I want to believe that God loves me and forgives me, but I'm having such a hard time. Call that number. Call that number. Get prayer. It's there for you. An intercessor said, I want to help. Call that number, 479-233. Or text that number and say, listen, I I just, I need, would you please pray for me? Pray for my children. Pray for my spouse. Pray for my finances. Pray for my relationship. Pray for my health. Please pray for me. I just need to stand, someone just stand in agreement with me. Call that number. Get that number ringing and texted so busy that they won't have time to do anything else but pray. Because that's what they want to do. That's what they do do. That's what this individual does. His praise and works in deliverance and healing. You need help today? Maybe, you know, sometimes I think I'm going to call the number. Hey, can I get some help? <laughs> we all need help along the way, right? So, God, this is so good, Lord. I, I agree. The cross is the power of God. Um Michael Johanan, what a timely word, the cross, thank you. Hey, Pastor Mike, why don't you call in sometime? Every once in a while, you need to do that. Give a creative, prophetic word. Now, I've got some information to share, which I'll get into here. Um, Why don't I begin with that? Do I want to begin with that? Gosh, you know, I, I feel so accomplished right now that what we've done today we were supposed to do I'd just really love to hear from you, I think, to hear the uh, God's people calling in. Praise the Lord. (sighs) Which way do we go? Which way do we go? Thank you, Father. God loves you. God truly does love you. Think about that. He's called you. He's purposed you. Just let him apprehend you. Just let him put his hands on your life. 
the race is almost over. The countdown has begun. Don't let anything hold you back from finishing the race that God has called you to. Whether your life on earth has been a beggar sitting by a rich man's house with the dogs licking your wounds and eating crumbs from the rich man's table, if that was your lot in life, it's almost over. If you're the rich man, if you've had everything in the whole world, it's almost over. Hope to God we didn't put our trust in uncertain riches. It's almost over. The spirit of death prowling this earth right now. The things that God has said would become reality, not because God is doing it. He has foreknowledge. He's the beginning and the end. He's been to the end. He knows. Don't get so concerned about minor things of temporary things and lose sight of great things that are eternal. The Lord has called you and I to endurance. He who endures to the end. So don't give up. Don't give up. We have all missed the mark, every single one of us. We've all been silly. We've all been foolish. We've all done it wrong, whether intentionally or not. Some of us just weren't that smart. And because we didn't always follow the Holy Spirit, we found ourselves saying and doing things that weren't consistent. But we're learning. We're coming to a place where if we will allow for the full and complete apprehension of the potter upon the clay of our lives, that he will fashion us and form us into everything he wants us to be. Don't shriek at that. Don't shrink back from that. Don't say, oh, God doesn't like my clay. No. Uh, Pastor Michael, I repeated this twice on Saturday evening, brought the word of the Lord, and he talked about a vision that he had. And in the vision, it was a big lump of dough, just a big lump of dough. And he saw the hands of God kneading it. Oh, getting in there, turning it, getting in there. And all of a sudden, in the dough, he saw people. There were people in the dough. And some of the people in the kneading were standing upright. And others were turned upside down. And he spoke on that. God has got to knead our lives and fashion it into what he desires, right? So is there a dragon, a bear, a lion, and a leopard ready to make a special appearance on planet Earth? And if so, who is this dragon, lion, leopard, and bear? Are we witnessing some of this right now? You want to have a Bible study? You want to talk about it? We will. Let's get into it just a little bit. I love this Bible study. I love it. But maybe I'll save it for tomorrow. Maybe I'll save it for tomorrow. You know what? I want to just say Silah to you today. And I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to do the same thing, to allow the sobriety of the cross 
to become a reality in your life and mine. And I want you to find the strength of the cross today. I want that emblazoned cross to be so deeply impressed in your spirit and your soul that that cross is the nullification for everything that finds you guilty, condemned, and ashamed before a holy God. I want you to find it today. I'm going to spend time today just reminding myself all day long, the cross, the cross, the power of God. While I was a sinner, while I was on the wide road going to hell, while I was an enemy of God, God loved me. God provided a way back, a reconciliation. I want to think about it. I'm just going to stay there. And I think it's, quite frankly, I think it's holy. Because in the cross, if we did a, if we continued to study on the cross, we would find passages in Colossians and in Ephesians and how the cross has absolutely defeated every principality and power. It has actually undone the power of a law that was written against us in legal terms because the price has been paid in full. All the demands of the law have been fulfilled in the death of Christ. It was met, and a new covenant has commenced. There's so much to say about the cross. I wish I knew what were going on in Washington, D.C. with the truckers, the convoy. I don't know. I wish I really understood what was happening in Ukraine and Russia. There are so many different stories. I really don't know. I wish I understood a lot of things, and and maybe as we get into Scripture and we look at the dragon, the lion, the bear, and the leopard, we might come up with a little wisdom. Hopefully we'll do that tomorrow. But I want to live my life and you to live your life in the power of the cross. New life. Abundant life. Clear conscience life. Joy and happiness. Internal qualities that money cannot buy. A house cannot buy it. Marriage can't buy it. Family can't buy it. Money can't buy it. Just can't. You can't buy the joy of the Lord. It's been purchased in full. And our faith in that blood will afford us tremendous joy. When we really understand the power of the cross, and not until then will there always be that little angst down deep inside, that little, you know, that little demon of condemnation and accusation and guilt and not worthy. I pray today that the cross would so eradicate and nullify that sense of thought, feeling that lie from our souls that we may know what it is to experience and to taste the joy of the Lord in a new and living way. To be afforded happiness and peace regardless of what we have or don't have. To go through life and experience the blessing of God in this world, having food and raiment, shelter, clothing, having our needs met, Trusting that God is doing it all the way, having something to give to others, share. Man, that's more than enough of this world's goods. But the spiritual qualities of the Christian faith 
love, joy, peace, hope, faith, grace, justification, sanctification, glorification. These things are absolutely eternal and are qualities that you and I can be sharing in through the cross. And if we stand on the other side of the bridge going, well, I don't know, do I really have access? Yes, you really do have access. You really are forgiven for what you've done. You are forgiven for everything and anything you have ever done in your life against God because you were his enemy. The Bible says it. God knows it. Don't pretend you weren't. Our actions and conduct, we were enemies against God. But he has forgiven you. And that to me is a miracle. That to me is incomprehensible love. That is something that transcends my understanding because there is no reason in my ability to perceive why he would. I could technically and with knowledge say, well, he's our creator. He loves us. And I could apply it to a man that has a son. But that gets screwed up sometimes, doesn't it? Not all fathers love their sons. So this is incomprehensible love spoken of in Ephesians chapter 3. A love that passes knowledge. Okay. Well, this one does. Let the love of God in. Let the love of God have its way. We become lovesick at certain times. I'm telling you, the bride of Christ, the sons and daughters of God who love their father, you become lovesick. That's why the Song of Solomon talks about, I am sick of love. You become lovesick in the sense of nothing in this world will ever satisfy you until you're with him. And you start thinking, well, God, you're already in me. Christ is in me. The spirit is in me. So how do I find that common union? How do I commune with you? He was joined to the Lord as one spirit. So I, I need to do this. Sometimes you've got to get away just here. Sometimes love sick will get you up in the middle of the night and you'll just be before God pouring your heart out to the Lord. Sometimes being lovesick is you're going through the motions. Hey, you're doing all the stuff you're supposed to do. CEO, I don't care who you are. But behind the scenes, you're just, I want to be with the one I love. It's kind of like um, when I married Patricia. Patricia and I were married 30 years ago, coming up in October. And I remember prior to our being married, we kind of, the, the dawning was coming that we would be. And I remember spending all night long on the phone talking with her. And then I remember I had a painting business. I used to paint houses, and then I would wait tables at night and paint houses during the day. I was raising my daughter, Danielle, at the time. And I remember being up all night, and so I'd get up to paint houses. And one, on one occasion, we were talking in the afternoon, and I, I just laid down on the driveway, put the phone next to my ear, paintbrush in my hand, and I fell completely asleep. And everything in me just wanted to be with her. I remember saying to God, if you take her off this earth, take me off this earth. I don't want to live on this earth without her. That's the truth. I said that. And um, you get to that place where you're doing your work, you're taking care of business, but the one you want to be with, the person that you love, the person that has, I don't even know what to call it, everything else is secondary. Now, Sure, you want to be responsible and you want to take care of and, you know, in marriage especially. 
You know, you want to be prepared to bring your spouse into something beautiful and provide for your spouse something beautiful. Um, but it's beyond the house. It's beyond any, it's the intimacy of the two people. It's two hearts, two spirits, two souls integrating, becoming one. That's powerful. But this is all representative, according to Ephesians 5, of Christ and his church. Are you lovesick today, longing to see Jesus, longing to fellowship with the Holy Spirit, who is God, and longing to be with your Father? The devil will never have that, and he doesn't want you to have that. He had it at the beginning, and he forfeited it, kind of like Esau, who gave up his inheritance for a pot of beans. And he sought for repentance with tears and could not find it. If there's something in your life that's tempting you to give up this intimacy that I'm sharing with you about right now, it's a pot of beans. I don't care who it is, what it is. It's a pot of beans. Your inheritance as a son, as a daughter of God, has eternal value. Why exchange it for temporary satisfaction? Don't ever do that. We're almost done, folks. We're almost done. God has called us to endurance. And if he allows the devil to rage and we come under persecution and we suffer for doing what is right and we're persecuted and tribulation hits the world, endure to the end. Lay your life down. Lay it down. I mean, here, even though we're people of preparation, we love to prepare. We think it's wisdom. God told us to do it. But not in the sense of he who tries to save his life. I'm not doing any of this to save my life. I don't believe anything I've done will save my life. I believe God saves my life. That's why when that man asked me many years ago in Lake Charles, Louisiana, six foot, seven, eight, whatever the guy was, and he looked down at me with that big old afro on his head, and he said, now, when everything collapses, do you know where to go? And I looked at him and said, brother, I'm not afraid of any of this. I'll be standing right here in Mount Zion. And he looked at me and he said, that's nice, but do you know where to go? And God said, honor this man, answer his question. And I said, I never thought of it. But my thought was, I'm not trying to save my life. God is my savior. And then God gave me the balance. You don't live, you don't prepare to save your life. You prepare because God told you to. And he foretells you what's going to be on this earth. Skyrocketing food prices. You're not going to be able to buy or sell without the mark of the beast. You've got to be able to get through three and a half years. You better be in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. You're not trying to save your life. You're having wisdom. You're having wisdom, and God gave us wisdom. But those things are not saving our lives. God is saving our life by telling us what to do. So by obeying God, I'm good with that. Don't sell out for anything. Don't sell out for anything. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't wave a white flag. Don't surrender. Keep doing what is right. And with the liberty we talked about today through the cross, 
do more damage to the powers of darkness. Shout louder. Go further. Release. Let the glory of God. Let God take you. Go out there and live out loud and outrageous and know that God is in you and God is around you. Tell the truth. Speak the truth in love. Go for it. Whatever God has told you to do. Drive that truck. Drive it the way God wants you to drive it. Get on that horn. Woo! Tell them what God wants you to say. Full of life. His death was so you and I could have life. 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 Abundance. Quality of life. And that can only be found internally. Intrinsically. Life is inside of us. Not out here. This is animation. All this is, is animation, but life is within. The quality of life is within. Speak in tongues, pray in tongues, sing to the Lord, shout to the Lord, clap your hands, all you people. Come on. Life is the knowing that you're forgiven, knowing that God loves you. I remember as a little boy when I used to get in trouble, which was a lot, probably like you, and I'd have to go to my room or whatever. And whenever I was told, you can come out of your room again so sheepishly, I would come out. But boy, did it feel good. They loved me. They, they brought me back. They're, they're with me. My family loves me. I'll, I'll be a good boy. God has called you back to his heart. So enter in. Enter in. So love the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I've given my life in belief and faith that it will not be Buddha at the end of this life that I'm going to stand before. Nor will I stand before Confucius or any man on this earth. I will not stand before a devil to give an account. I don't care who he is or what he is. I have given my life in faith and believing that there's only one that I will give an account to. And he's the lover of my soul. Jesus Christ, my heavenly father, the spirit of God, the Elohim, all the angels of God will observe. I'm living for him. I'm living because of him. And there is much more internal glory to be realized. And I believe a day is coming when the, the hard times are going to hit. People are going to be looking at some of you, and they're going to be, and why are you full of the joy? Why are you glistening? Why are you effulgencing? How is it possible that your countenance is shining like the sun when everything is dark and drying up and withering? How are you so alive how are you so alive? I'm going to tell you how it works if you'll give me a, just a couple more minutes. Here's how it works. It's the story of the horses. Oh, I know people have heard the, horse, the story of the horses. But for those of you who want to hang on a little longer, here it is. There was a scenario, if you could picture a ranch, a horse ranch, and the horse ranch had a fence around it. And then outside on the other side of the fence was a glorious meadow of waters and, and all that you could imagine in a meadow. 
And in the horse ranch were these horses, and they had ropes around their neck, bits in their mouth. They were tied to a post. They were being whipped. And on the other side, in the open meadow, there were these wild horses, and they were kicking it up. They were just, wow. And they would oftentimes come to the fence of these other horses that had bits in their mouth and ropes around their neck and had the little whip going on. And they'd say, what are you guys doing? Why don't you jump the fence and join us? Look at what we have. Nobody to tell us what to do. We are free. We have this meadow and these waters, and we just run. And every once in a while, they were so convincing, some of those horses would jump the fence and say, yeah, let's go, yay. But in the process of time, they would see these horses on the other side of the fence that had the bits in their mouth, the ropes around their neck being hit. Now they see them pulling this heavy carriage, and they're, got, they're all stuck together, and there's ropes, and they got to walk. And, and so the horses would come over and laugh at them and mock them and say, look at you guys. You're all chained up one to another, and, and here we are. Look at the freedom. Look at the green, lush meadows and the waters everywhere. What are you guys doing? Now, these horses that were carrying the carriage, they wouldn't even pay a second of attention, wouldn't even look at them. And the carriage would go on. Well, according to the story, suddenly a famine hit the land. And the meadows where the wild horses were dried up. All the water sources were gone. And in the process of time, these wild horses who had it all began to have no food and no water. And they were becoming emaciated. And their bones were beginning to show. And they dragged themselves to the fence. And when they looked over the fence, they saw these fat horses. And they were well-fed, and they were groomed, and, and they were looking, and they would watch, and their eyes were getting droopy and watery, and one day, they saw that carriage coming down the road, and as they beheld with their emaciated bodies and their bones sticking out and their dry tongues of thirst and the sickness that was hitting their lives, they saw this carriage, and before them, the most incredible, massive, beautiful, fat, well-fed, strong horses carrying this golden carriage. And they're walking down the road. And when the carriage stopped, the emaciated horses came over and started speaking, saying, how is it possible? Why are you so fat? Why are you so groomed? Why are you so rich? And finally, one of the horses began to share with these horses, and he said to them, while you were out in that field, kicking it up, doing your own thing, you saw us with bits in our mouth and ropes around our neck and being whipped and trained. What you didn't see is every night after our training, the master would come and wash us. And he would feed us out of his own hands. And he would care for us and tell us of the purpose we would one day have. And today, 
you now see that we are carrying the king in his carriage. Totally loved, totally cared for, totally taken care of. It may not be an easy road to be disciplined. It may not be easy to have a bit put in our mouths, a rope around our neck, and a little whip to keep us, teach us how to walk in alignment, to listen to the voice of the commander. But we had to learn it. And while you were out there kicking your heels up, you have no purpose. But our purpose is to carry the king of glory. And so you and I today who are allowing for the bit in the mouth, the rope around the neck, the whip upon the bottom, training us, teaching us to listen to the voice of the command, to go in the direction we're told to go. Our life is no longer our own. We simply go in the way of the master. But we are groomed, and we are washed, and we are well-fed, and we are fat, and we are satisfied with drink. The question is today, what side of the fence are you on? What side of the fence am I on? Have you been in the stable and the corral under discipline for many years? Your time of purpose is coming. You're going to carry the cargo of Christ in your vessel. You're going to bring and do the exploits of God in your vessel because you have stayed the course. You have allowed for the discipline. You have allowed for God to break you and to train you and to make you useful. Those of you that are doing your own thing, you're not submitted to anybody. You're not accountable to anybody. You do what you want, when you want. You don't ask. You just do what you need to do. You're just on your own. Beware. And rather than trying to convince other people to join you and jump over the fence and join you, why don't you jump over the fence and get back into discipline? Why don't you come back into the corral of God's love and God's favor? Yes, it is a difficult time. It is where we prove our love for Christ and for one another. It's called fellowship. And all the horses that remain in fellowship undergoing the same trial of discipline, eventually, while they're all useful, they're the happiest horses on the, in the earth, right? Yeah, we don't like to talk about these things. We just want to talk about so many other things. To those of you who have allowed yourself to be corralled, limited, disciplined, broken. Learn to hear the voice this way. A little touch of the foot of a person that rides a horse, they just touch a little bit. That horse's instinct goes in the direction the rider tells it to go in because it knows. That's how we survive the greatest tribulation to ever hit the face of the earth. This is how we survive We don't survive by being self-sufficient, independent, self-willed, doing our thing because there's no problem at the present. I tell you, the famine is coming. And the days that you thought were carefree are going to be met with disaster if you get into the fold of what God is doing. Where the five-fold ministry, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher are in operation actively building into the lives of God's people to make them useful. And if we don't do our job as a five-fold ministry, that's on our hands too. 
Well, that's it for me. <clears throat> that's it for me. Have a super blessed day. Be a wise horse. Get back into the camp. If you're under discipline, hey, count it all joy. Count it all joy. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless. Have a wonderful day. Shalom.